meets the 30A Show, the Emerald Coast's first beach cast, presented by 38cottages.com, celebrating the happy beach life that people enjoy along Florida's scenic Highway 30A. Let's hit the beach. Hey everyone, it's Mike with 30A. I'm here with Deeru Thadani. Um, Deeru is a not only an author, an architect, a town planner, new urbanist, urban designer, all of these things, um, and also instrumental in the, the future vision of Seaside. You've written a couple of books, including uh, The Language of Towns and Cities That's and right. also Visions of Seaside. Mm -hmm. um, so tell me, how did you get connected to Seaside in the, in the beginning? Well, um, I was teaching back in 1980. I was teaching at Catholic University, mm -hmm. and uh, Andres Duani came to give a lecture mm -hmm. at the university, and um, we got talking about cities, and I love the cities. I grew up in Bombay. My partner, my teaching partner, and then my professional partner, Peter Hetzel, I grew up in New York. Okay. And neither one of us really got the suburbs. We just didn't understand the suburbs. Right. And um, so we were always having this discussion about urban design and cities and the stuff that was happening around Washington. And Andres comes to town and he starts talking about small towns. Mm -hmm. And the fact that, uh, and I still actually have the, my notes, I keep these sketchbooks, this is my, this is my iPad. <laughs> right, right. And um, I've got about 100 of these uh, over the years. So I take copious notes uh, and I have the drawing that I made in 1980. Really? In that, from that conversation of the drawing I made when I got home. And basically what the story is that, well, what we, discussed mm -hmm. at that meeting was that in 1950 after World War II it was easier with the GI Bill for uh, soldiers to buy homes in the suburbs so what happened was we had the kind of decanting of homes from the city into the suburbs so that happens in 1950 and it's the money is only good if you buy a new home it's not for renovation so that kind I of see. rules out cities so the first kind of decline of cities by that act then the second thing that happens in 1960, you get the shopping mall invented. Mm -hmm. So now you've got the shopping mall and that big box kind of goes out. The two anchors connected by a string of inline stores surrounded by a parking lot. So that happens in 1960. Then in 1970, you've got the schools changing their regulations uh, for sports fields. Mm -hmm. So it kind of makes all urban schools obsolete. Hmm because they can't have the large, the required part. So the smallest school has to be eight acres, 500 students or something has to be eight acres, and you don't have that in the city. Mm -hmm. So now the school has moved out, you know, in 1970. In 1980, for the first time, you get corp corporations amassing, large corporations happening, and they want the office park. Mm -hmm. So the office park is invented off the highway, you know, some interchange off the highway, and you get this collection of large office buildings surrounded by parking lots. So now you've got all three, four ingredients that make up a city, workplace, housing, school, and retail, right, all moving out to the, so the idea was, can we take these four ingredients and assemble them mm -hmm. together in a meaningful form? because they're all scattered, they're all parts in the, in, in the verbs, mm -hmm. right? So that's what we, we were discussing in 1980, mm -hmm. okay? And it was like a fascinating, so Andreas comes up with this idea because he's already in conversation with Robert Davis at the time, now let's go measure some small towns. Let's look at Key West, look at some of these towns all across the South, especially, mm -hmm. and see what it is, what is the kind of magic numbers, let's say, you got 350 homes, Okay? and 
how much how big should the school be? Mm-hmm. How much retail can that support? And how much commu- you know, I mean, uh, how much office? You know, mm-hmm. and it's really a very small amount of office insurance uh, insurance companies mm-hmm. and things like mm-hmm. that, right? But can we actually take those four ingredients and put them together plus recreation? That's mm-hmm. like the fifth piece, right? And uh, can we put all those things together in a meaningful form? But use the historic town form mm-hmm. as the precedent. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's when Andreas and Robert take their tour across the south and the land yacht and the big red car, you know, with Daryl <laughs> and, and Liz, and they go around looking at these small towns. And at the same time, we're interested in that, so we're looking and measuring towns and trying to figure out those magic numbers: how many square feet of this and that. And we decide to use the plan of seaside as a design studio project in this design studio that Peter and I were teaching. So I see. And so we have 115 students and they're working on Seaside and Leon Creo is doing his uh, kind of um, review of the Seaside plan. Yeah. And he's making his drawings and Andres and uh, Liz are changing the plan of Seaside. For instance, there was no Ruskin place in the original plan, okay. but Leo is kind of making these corrections and saying we need a whole sequence of spaces between the town center and the church, the right. chapel. So he's doing that kind of influence, and they're modifying it. And we're saying, look, we want to take this plan and use a design project. At the same time, Andres is looking at a houseman. His houseman's code for Paris was a one-page code. Hmm. And uh, codes generally in America tell you what you cannot do, right? That's the way the code is. All codes are written, right? Enforcement. Enforcement. You can't do this. You can't put this against that. You can't, you know. Uh, and so we said, or he said, how about if you write a code that is prescriptive, that says what you must do to make good urbanism? Okay, and that's the big twist. And that's where the Houseman Code the one-page code comes from, and then Seaside was the kind of model, if you will, of what was called form-based codes. Now, form-based codes have been around for a long time, but no one used them for centuries. I see. So it was a kind of resurrecting of this idea of the, the original concept. Right, right. Of making a code that says 60% of your building facade has to be on this line. 50% of that facade has to be a porch. Mm-hmm. It's an encroachment outside the setback line. Parking has to be at the back. Height has to be this. If you have an outbuilding, it has to be located here, you know, mm-hmm. at the back or whatever. So there are about five or things that, six things that you code. And that became the genesis of new urbanism, was this prescriptive code looking at precedents, mm-hmm. not trying to invent anything, mm-hmm. saying, let's look at what has worked in cities before, and all the cities we love. So like, you know, uh, Leon Creer says, um, we never go to places uh, to vacation, which are more than four or five stories. If you think about it, you never do that, right? You always go to a place where the scale is low, it's a human scale. Mm-hmm. So why is that experience only reserved for your vacation? Why can't that be your everyday experience? Live right. in a town where the scale is low, and you have this connection when you're on the fourth floor of a building, like any of these buildings here at Seaside, you can see the street, and you can see what's happening. So you have this direct connection with what's going on on the street, on the ground level, and your balcony, for yeah. instance. Okay? But when you're in a high-rise building, you lose that connection completely. So, you know, you can walk, and you can actually recognize a face 
mm-hmm. down below in that distance. So it makes for a safer environment. And then, and then you've got Jane Jacobs writing her book in the 60s, which we were all mm-hmm. were very you know, inspired by and influenced by. And she was talking about eyes on the street. Mm-hmm. And the same thing. So all these things kind of like, you know. So it was wisdom together. that was there. It just had to be brought back to the forefront exactly. of the way. Because urban sprawl happened over 70 years. I mean, right. and nobody kind of realized this creep was occurring. Yes. And also, no one realized the negative effects. There were many positive things. I mean, all, you know, all the intentions were very honorable, of course. great intentions, you know, outdoor space, recreation. Getting away from crime and pollution, right. perhaps, that was in inner cities. Yes. You know. uh, so those intentions were, were sound intentions, but the end result has led to, you know, a crisis of fossil fuel, public health, the smog, obesity, all those things can be now traced back to those decisions. And they're unintended consequences. So, you know, you're not putting blame here to anyone said they no, sure. did this. But we kill, America kills, one in 8,000 people every year in automobile accidents. It's about 37,000 people were killed as a consequence of an auto-oriented society. Mm-hmm. Okay? And so when you think of how many people died in Vietnam, okay, mm-hmm. 50,000, just in, you know, uh, 10 years ago, 55,000 people died in automobile accidents, okay? We should be building a memorial for all those people who die every year in automobile accidents. And, you know, you build a memorial for the war or, you know. Uh, but this is a cost we just take for granted. We yeah. take this kind of loss of social capital, and it's devastating uh, to society. You know, I, I mean, I know multiple families who've lost a child in an automobile, you know. Well, and, and, and even know. socially, though, all of the time that I think probably back in the 50s when there was an, uh, a migration to the suburbs, the idea was that you're moving to the country, you're going to spend time with your kids and your dog, but over 70 years, that, that countryside gets further and further away from the city right. center, so we actually end up spending two hours in a car, right. in a commute, as opposed to two hours with our family, which was the original right. intent. But the original suburbs outside New York, Connecticut, mm-hmm. those places, were transit-oriented. You took the train, and it, you, know, you could see a CEO of a company mm-hmm. taking the train from Connecticut into New York. Right. So it wasn't, so they were actually working or reading a newspaper. It wasn't all automobile. And then all that gets kind of phased out, mm-hmm. and everything becomes auto-dependent. So, and so in a way, seaside is the experiment. That you can do this now. You know, of course, a lot of things have changed in Seaside. It's really sure. more of a, you know, uh, it's not a permanent community in many ways, and it's criticized for that. But what's really fascinating about Seaside is that a million people visit Seaside every year. Okay, um, just if you take the sales of all the restaurants, and you know, you, you, we can work backwards sure. and realize how many people are here who've come here. Uh, over the last 35 years, a million people have stayed in Seaside. Okay, so they've experienced living here without a car, you know, mm-hmm. or minimus, minimal use of their car. So for us, even though every criticizes, oh, it's just another resort town, it really is a great place to bring people to show. So it becomes our lab in a way to say, look, you can be here, mm-hmm. come here, experience this. You can have this every day. Mm-hmm. You don't have to just have it for one week when you're on vacation. Mm-hmm. You can actually have and live this way, and it's a much more civil way to live. 
And that's what we're seeing. I know you've done a lot of work with, uh, say, Macon, Georgia, mm-hmm. and in Mississippi, right. helping communities, especially, what was the community lo- uh, in Mississippi? Long Beach. Long Beach in Mississippi that was devastated after right. Hurricane Katrina. What type of work are you doing in a, in a place like that to help revitalize an urban plan? Well, in a place like that, which is devastated, which is, you know, uh, it's, it's a very difficult situation because, one, people just want their homes back. Mm-hmm. You know, and you come back and you say, but we can give you something better, you know, but they, right. what they really want is just to hold back. So it's, you got to move very, very slowly and carefully through that. Uh, and what we're trying to say is, look, you've got super long blocks mm-hmm. in, these, in these cities. So let's, when we're redoing the, all the houses are gone, let's subdivide it so that we put intermediate pedestrian corridors in. So actually add one, add the sidewalks, do add better drainage to the system so it drains towards the, the golf. So there are all those things which are sustainable uh, aspects of, uh, you know, sort of city building, let's mm-hmm. say. But then you're also trying to get these folks to start thinking about using their cars less. So actually we kind of revising the uh, zoning code so that it permits mixed use, uh, so that you can have a business in your home. So the little things that you do, little interventions that you do, that don't really change the form. Mm-hmm. So get your town back, but it works better. Right. So it's you know, it's just kind of maneuvering through the codes and trying to make it so if somebody does want to walk, there's a choice available. Currently, in most of these places, there is no choice. Okay. So, in places like Macon, uh, so I've done a lot of work in university towns, mm-hmm. and you know, one of the things that people um, don't, uh, in, in the American context, mm-hmm. uh, we have a lot of problem with density. Everyone is flipping out. If you say the word density, it's like you know, everyone's kind of no, we don't want. And two things about that. One is that you need density to get good retail, to get choice. Okay, you, can't, you can't have a grocery store in walking distance of there's and density. Okay, that's just the reality. You've got to have this kind of catchment area of people who are going to come there. That's one. The other is that what for the longest time in marketing and sales, people have, what marketing folks do is sell the exclusiveness of a place. Okay, so when you use exclusiveness of a place as your fundamental marketing strategy. Mm-hmm. What happens is every time a, a new person moves, you've devalued the property. Mm-hmm. Okay? Because of the first person who moves in, or the second person moves in, now you've got to share the road with two people, then four people, or whatever. So you're devaluing the property because what I'm selling you as a real estate agent or an architect or a planner is that this is an exclusive area. Whereas if you start with the premise of community, as what you're gonna pitch and sell. Every time someone moves in, you're adding value. Okay, that makes sense. So it's, this, it's the opposite. It's the opposite. Yep. And for too long, we've sold this idea of everything being exclusive. Private and Private gated and, and right. et cetera. And right. so th- there's a kind of, real, you know, there's a flip and there's, there's in that exclusiveness, there's a price to be paid. Mm-hmm. You know, parents become chauffeurs to their children because they can't share you know, a share ride, a car ride, etc. And you don't have, you don't know your neighbors, you know, they're mm-hmm. too far apart. So you can't really have, so there's a, there's, there's a loss. You might be exclusive, but you're losing something else about what urban life sure. cities had and the sense of community. So it's, it's really important to kind of, now I think we're evaluating that. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people, I would say, currently, we have 30% of the market wanting 
urban community, density, walkability, etc. And only 2% product. So there's this incredible shift. Mm -hmm. There is a demand, if you look at all the demographics, there's a demand for all the positive things that urban life offers. But there's only 2% places and neighborhoods. There's a lot of opportunity. There's a lot of it. And that's why I think, you know, a lot of new urbanists are doing so well right now mm -hmm. in terms of the workload of what we're, you know. Uh, and, and this is a phenomenon that's all over the world. You know? mm -hmm. So I've been working in China. I just came back from Russia. I worked in India and Spain and Switzerland. They're all these countries in some way follow the American dream mm -hmm. and are trying to reverse that. I see. So there's there's this, there's a lot of opportunity and these principles are universal. We all get tired if you walk more than 10, 15 minutes in the hot sun. Mm -hmm. So it does, you know, people say, oh, can you take new urbanism culturally important to do it somewhere? I said, it's a human body. Mm -hmm. It's a human factor that we're actually trying to deal with. And that is universal. Maybe an Indian walks 20 minutes more, mm -hmm. you know, than an American will or, you know, European. But in the end, we will still get tired. If you walk up five flights of steps, sure. Get tired, so really it is designing with pedestrians and humans in mind right. first, as yeah. opposed to automobiles, which was the big shift. Right. And it's human power. It's, it's the idea of saying, let's design as if we have no artificial energy or additional energy to you know, supplement. So let's design something that works on human power first. Then you can add in the air conditioning and whatever you want. Okay, so you know, buildings for centuries, I mean, you know, 19, whatever. Cities have been around for 5,000 years, real cities, and it's only in the last 100 years that we've avoided walking. So guys, I'm here with uh, Dero Thadani. You're here frequently, and yes. so what I would love to do is invite you back because I want to talk more about the impact of uh, technology and what we expect uh, that impact to be, whether it's driverless vehicles and, and what impact that's going to have in new urbanism. And also like to talk about the evolution of urbanism and how there really is a cross-section of new urbanism right here, like if you slice the tree and could see the rings. And I'd like to talk about how it's evolved over the years. Uh, guys, go check out his book. Uh, you can find him on Amazon. Uh, you can find uh, Visions of Seaside. You can find The Language of Cities and Towns or Towns and Cities. And, um, uh, and, and absolutely expect us to follow up uh, with uh, a follow-up interview and also uh, stay uh, tuned to the Seaside Institute because uh, you have an art exposition um, and, and routinely speak here in Seaside so uh, thank you for everything you do for our community well thanks alright thank Enjoy you alright bye guys The 30A Show Friday mornings at 7am Central Time and becomes a podcast you can listen to inside your 30A app for iPhone and Android special thanks to 38cottages.com YOLO Board and Golf Place